Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I'm your host, Robin, and I am here with Dawn, Katie, and Lindy. And it's our prayer at Storytellers Live that you would meet God in a new way through these stories, that you would know you aren't alone, and that you can discuss these stories with friends so that walls are broken down and community is built. Today, our storyteller is Suzanne, and she is from our Vestavia gathering, but this story actually happened right after we were in quarantine, so there was no live gathering, and it was our first attempt at doing a Facebook Live, and so this was everybody's story. This was not, this did not just belong to Vestavia, but it is a little bit different, we want you to know, because it was recorded in late March, and so she references um, the uncertainty and the fear, which... We actually still are in to an extent, but this was very early. So I do want y'all to know that when you hear her, she will be referencing that. And it's from several weeks ago. But also normally, you know, a lot of times we have people ask questions in live gatherings. And so instead, I was the one to ask her questions. So you're going to hear that at the end as well. You're going to hear me ask her some one-on-one questions. And That's right. And I think another thing that's important to let everyone know is that because there was not a live audience, it really is like a storyteller, you know, reading us out of her memoir. She does share some journal entries with us and, and she does just cover so many areas of just being thoroughly loved by God. Uh, she talks about, you know, laying our burdens at his feet, being transparent, you know, waiting for his perfect timing, the unconditional love of a father. And then she ends her story, though, talking about um, the walk that she was on when her mother passed away. And we just thought it was a great time to share it with this Sunday being Mother's Day. So we hope that y'all enjoy Suzanne's story. We want to tell you about an amazing company for women called Bulo Solutions. Bulo is a staffing and recruitment platform connecting women, mostly moms, with innovative companies who offer flexible and remote jobs. Many women sometimes struggle to maintain job demands while meeting family and household responsibilities, resulting in them pausing their careers until their children get older. Bulo provides another option. The Bulo platform surfaces flexible work opportunities with companies that respect women's choice to blend work and family. Whether you are working full-time and you're looking for a more flexible career or you're ready to jump back in, Bulo can help you find your right professional fit. Go to BuloSolutions.com, that's Bulo, B-O-U-L-O, Solutions.com to sign up and complete your member profile. Don't forget to follow Bulo Solutions on Instagram and Facebook. Okay, well, it's great to be with you guys again. And it's so exciting to be working with the Storytellers group and also to be sharing a piece of my story with you guys. And I just hope and pray and trust that it's going to touch whomever it needs to touch. So it is an honor also to be using a new platform. I've been wanting to learn how to build remote teams and how to launch virtual Bible studies for a long time. So boy, we've learned what not to do. And we've learned what to do too. So that's just great. I was filled with a real yearning for other people to know and experience God like I have through my life. I see so many people searching for answers and for deeper meaning. We all see people doing that, grasping for quick fixes and all kinds of addictive behaviors, not knowing where peace and hope can be found. So I wanted to share with you some of my journey as I've learned to be honest with God, knowing he sees me as I am. He sees all of us just as we are and loves us no matter what. That's pretty awesome to be truly known and to be thoroughly loved. So in starting, I was really blessed to go to high school in Monroeville, Alabama. My daddy was a county agent. So growing up, we always lived in the country. 
Now, I love the country, but as a kid, I wanted to live in the city. So when we moved to Monroeville, we lived in the city. Sounds kind of funny to refer to Monroeville as a city, small as it is. But when you've lived your whole life as a country girl, it was like being in the city was like being in the center of all the action. Action in Monroeville, Alabama, that is, of driving around the square on Saturday night. <laughs> Woohoo, big city life, huh? But I loved it. We went to church at Monroeville First Methodist and met, an, and I met an elderly couple, Mr. Ralph and Miss Pat Lazenby, who lived near the church. They would walk to church hand in hand. It was so cute to me. Mama always took us to visit elderly people on Sunday afternoons. She worked full time as a nurse, so Sunday's really the only time we had to do that together. So we went and visited Mr. Ralph and Miss Pat, and I got to know them pretty well. Well, I've got a sister two years older than me. People always thought I was older because I was bigger and still am. But um, Nita, when she graduated from high school, Mr. Ralph and Miss Pat thought it was me. So they gave me a graduation present, which I loved. In fact, when I was doing preparing for this talk, I was looking for it and I found it. The name of the book that they gave me is Nobody Else Will Listen. It looks really old because it is, <laughs> because I am. Nobody Else Will Listen by Marjorie Holmes, A Girl's Conversations with God. And what it did early on in my life is it taught me just to talk to God. Some of the contents of this book is, you know, where it says nobody else will listen. Why am I such a mess? Self-pity. There's topics on parents. You know, I quarreled with my daddy last night on girlfriends, on boyfriends, on school and family and the big scene. But the chapter that really stuck to me was the chapter that dealt with I want to be me. And I want to read some of that to you guys. It says, I'm sick of trying to be a lot of people I'm not, Lord, or even just one person that I'm not. My parents are always trying to make me over. Teachers try to make me over. I've got to be this way if I want to be successful, that way if I want to get a good job. Even my friends try to make me into somebody else. Lord, I don't want to be anybody else. Not even somebody I've read about or seen on TV or in the movies. I'd really rather just be myself, whoever that is. I'm not sure yet, but I'm trying to find out. And if I keep trying to be all these other people, I never will. Please help me to find and be true to myself, Lord, the person you meant me to be. This topic was significant to me because I always struggled with who I was. Nobody ever knew this. I always had a lot of friends and I was always pretty happy. So nobody really knew it except for mama and God knew it. <laughs> but being the third child of four, I always compared myself to my siblings. I have pretty great siblings. I have an older brother who's really good looking and very athletic, an older sister who's really smart and musically talented. Everything she touches, she can play. And I have a younger brother who's so witty. He never meets a stranger and he's so funny. So in my eyes, I was kind of a weak combination of all those things, you know, kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. And I never really measured up in my eyes. In fact, I don't really think I kicked that until I went to go see a counselor at 34 years old. Uh, deter trying to determine what I was going to be when I grew up. <laughs> Sounds kind of funny to be addressing that at 34 years old, but I think we're really always trying to find out what the next step in our journey is all throughout our lives. But my first job from undergrad was as a sales rep for Kellogg's, the cereal company. Great company, great experience. But even before I took the job, I asked one of my college professors if it was unethical to take a job you thought you'd only be in for one year. <laughs> and he said, um, well, tell me a little bit about the job. So I did. And he said, absolutely not. That's a great job. Take that job. So I did thinking I'd only be there one year, right? Well, you know, 12 years later, <laughs> I found myself still in that job. In fact, kind of stuck in the job that I didn't really like anymore. It wasn't compatible to my values. Yet every time I tried to make a change, it seemed like I either got a raise or a promotion. So it made it really kind of hard to quit. 
by worldly standards, I had it made. I had a cute house in Homewood, had a great paying job, and I had the freedom and the money to go and do whatever I wanted to go and do. But I didn't have a family of my own, and I didn't have a job that I loved. So I knew something had to change. I've got pages of journaled prayers where I continually asked God, what was I supposed to do? Where was my place in this world? And time and again, time and again, it seemed that the response was, wait. I even at one point bought a car. I had a company car with Kellogg's and I thought, well, maybe that's what's holding me back. So I bought a car and had it for about a year or two, a little over a year, and it still wasn't clear. So I ended up selling it. I sold it to an aunt who needed a car. So that wasn't the time. The time wasn't right even though I tried to force it. <laughs> well, when I was 34, I met a man who was a therapist. He came to our Sunday school class and taught a lesson on being true to oneself, which really perked my interest. So I made an appointment with him in his office. I went in, pen in hand, uh, ready for him to tell me in one visit what I was supposed to do with the rest of my life. So uh, needless to say, that didn't happen. <laughs> he kind of laughed about it, and later I laughed about it too. This one visit actually turned into nine months. And after nine months, I did have an idea of what the next step in my career was going to be. But that nine months of counseling was very long and very arduous. It required me to confront a lot of the roles that I had assumed throughout my life. As family systems will attest, anytime somebody changes something, then the rest of the system kind of bucks it because they're used to you being a certain way. So it's that way with AA too. You know, when a, when a person goes through treatment, a lot of times when they get out, they have to separate themselves from the old friend groups or from the old environment, or they'll be sucked back into the same. People don't want them to change. It's not that they don't want to do what's best for them, but they just, they're comfortable with that system. So really when I was going through this process, I didn't involve my family very much, especially until my dad who, um, he thought that I had the perfect job and loved that I was making money and all that stuff. So he wouldn't understand this fulfillment thing that I was trying to find. So I did tell him actually when I was accepting the grad school. So it was a long time later. In fact, I took the grad exam. I went to the chair of the department just to find out information. We call it an informational interview, just to find out information about the program. And the chair ended up saying, he said, you know, I'm giving the grad exam tomorrow. Why don't you come and sit for that? So I said, okay. And I met some friends that night for dinner. And I remember telling them, I think God really has his hand all over this because he knows that if I had time to think about it, I would chicken out of taking that grad exam. I didn't like standardized tests. I was had made good grades. I always made pretty good grades, but I was not a good standardized test taker. So I think the good Lord knew what he was doing by only giving me one day. Certainly has a sense of humor. Well, I did get into graduate school. I passed the exam, did get into graduate school, and I quit my job with Kellogg's. In fact, when I resigned, I was told that if I stayed to train my replacement, I would be given six months full salary and benefits. Now, how many times do you see that? <laughs> For somebody to voluntarily quit their job and get a severance package? Not many, but this was just one of the many blessings and affirmations that came, making it clear that this was the right step for me at the right time. Well, career counseling is what I pursued in graduate school. It was a combination of the counseling profession that I loved and of sales and marketing that I had gotten to be pretty good at. And I love that too. But it's kind of ironic, don't you think, that I was going to be helping others find their place in this world when it took me so long to find mine. But God has a way of doing that, doesn't he? He takes our struggles and our pains and he uses them in our ministry. The challenges and trials we face make us more empathetic toward others going through the same thing. It sure gave me a lot more compassion and love for the career struggles and transitions I saw in others. 
Also, one month before I quit my job, I met and started dating the man who is now my husband. That's kind of strange, too, since having a family was the only thing I always knew I wanted, that and traveling. I love to travel. In the 10th grade, we wrote a letter to ourselves that our teacher was going to mail to us 10 years later. When I got mine, actually mine was 11 years later because my class had an 11th year class reunion. <laughs> kind of special that way. But my letter included a lot of references to being a mom. Career was only briefly mentioned, but somehow 11 years later that had gotten reversed. My career was pretty stable, but kids weren't even in the picture. There were a lot of years and a lot of tears spent when I asked God why I was still single when I wanted kids so badly. I didn't understand why I couldn't meet someone and have those 2.5 kids that everybody else was having, but that didn't happen on my timetable either. In fact, until I confronted some of the issues that had occurred earlier in my life, I didn't have a very high opinion of marriage. And when my sister's ideal marriage ended in divorce to a guy who had been one of my best friends, I didn't have any confidence in marriage at all. With the addictions, betrayals, abortions, miscarriages, bitterness, anger, and abuse I had witnessed within my family and with some of my friends, deep down, I believed I was better off alone. I never could commit to anybody on a permanent basis. But God, but God, <laughs> only God knows our hearts better than we know ourselves, and only God knows what's best for us and when. Jeremiah 29 11 tells us, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Well, I did get married at 37 years old. I had my son, my first child when I was 39, and my daughter, my second and last child at 42. I tell my husband all the time, we can't even pretend to be as old as we are. We've got too much living to go. And also, I remember my kids coming home from school, my daughter coming home one time and saying, Mama, you know you're the oldest mama in the class. And of course, I, I told her, I am really sorry, honey, that y'all don't have anything better to talk about than how old your old mama is. But you know, kids. Well, there have been ups and downs all along life's journey. I don't know how people make it throughout life without the unconditional love of God, without the limitless grace of Jesus, and without the undying hope and strength of our holy comforter to carry us when we can't even carry ourselves. God loves us when we succeed, and he loves us when we fail. He picks us up when we fall down. He brushes off our skin knees. He wipes the tears off our tear-stained faces. And he holds us tightly in his arms until we're ready to go out and face life again. How many people did Jesus do that to when he walked among us 2,000 years ago? A lot. In fact, every interaction with those he met along the way, I can just see the love in his eyes as he tells hurting people time and again, go and don't do that to yourself anymore. I love you. You're my precious child. I came so you'd live a fuller life, a life of freedom, of abundance, and of joy. I was an early investor in a crowdfunded media project called The Chosen. It's a series on the life of Jesus. You can download it for free from the App Store right now. It's really great. In those episodes, we see Jesus portrayed as very human and very divine. We see him as fun, funny, wise, compassionate, and we see those beautiful eyes looking at everyone he meets with sincere love. Have any of you ever been touched by the hand of Jesus? and been looked at by those eyes of compassion and love? Times when you've fallen or you've struggled to face another day, trudging through numbly, not even having the words or the strength to articulate a prayer? 
One particular time for me was in 2011. It was the year I lost my mama. She knew something wasn't right and hadn't been feeling well for a few months. But my daddy was scheduled for bypass, quadruple bypass surgery. So that was her priority. When we finally went to the doctor, she was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and had an enlarged spleen about five times the norm. But we got a plan. Through all the doctor's visits, we had a plan. I tried to stay strong and optimistic with all my siblings who lived out of state, telling them this is what we found, but this is what we're going to do. We have a plan. Well, they scheduled surgery pretty soon to remove her spleen, and that surgery went well. It was on a Thursday. My sister and I were alternating staying between Mama in the hospital and Daddy in Clanton as he recovered from his surgery. Well, I was with Mama on Saturday when I noticed she began breaking out in hives. I thought she was just hot. She had a heat allergy, so I tried to cool her down with cool washcloths, running back and forth to the bathroom to make them cool again, but it progressively got worse called the nurse who came and checked her vitals and said all appeared okay. She finally paged a doctor though. I kept trying to get her to. She finally did when my aunt who I had on my cell phone in the room, who's also a nurse, told me that they, ha they had to get mama to the ER stat. Mama's breathing became labored and they finally wheeled her to the ER, but en route she suffered a heart attack. I later learned that she had an allergic reaction to some of the meds she'd been given. If only I had known that earlier. Only I had recognized those symptoms. If only I had insisted that they take her to the ER sooner. If only, if only, if only. For days, I relived the experience in my mind as I stayed with her in the ICU, wanting and praying for her to awaken from her coma, playing some of her favorite music on the CD player we brought from home. Big band music, Frank Sinatra, Andy Griffith hymns, and Ella Fitzgerald booming. We all smiled as we envisioned the many times we'd seen Mama snapping her fingers and dancing across the kitchen floor. You've got to accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. Uh, latch on to the affirmative and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. <laughs> what a mantra to live by. But that was my mama. Stay positive, assess the situation, find a solution. Nothing was ever impossible or too much for her to bear. Well, now as Ella Fitzgerald boomed on that CD player, we were all wishing she'd wake up and dance across the floor of that ICU room, singing it again. But she didn't. One night after my brother and sister had gone back to the hotel, which was across from the hospital, I stayed with Mama in ICU until they finally asked me to leave at 2 a.m. I stumbled into the hotel room and fell across the bed, fully clothed, sleeping fitfully. I woke five times during the night with the same dream and the same words echoing in my head. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Five times. When we awoke in the next morning, I told my siblings about this dream, saying, I think it means I have to forgive myself, accepting that I did all I could do. But I also knew it meant that I eventually had to forgive the doctors and the nurses that were there. That's a message I want you to hear too. It is so important and it's so redeeming. Whatever you've done, whatever you've been through, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. He is the truth. Jesus is the truth. He's the life. And he is what we've all been searching for as we grasp and gasp for our meaning and our purpose. I think I mentioned to you guys that I've always been a journaler, but I couldn't even pick up my pen and paper until almost a month after we buried Mama. I'd like to read what I wrote, although it still chokes me up nine years later. September 21st, 2011, 2 a.m. A new day, a new reality, a new world. I do not know how to face it. 
It is totally new and I'm filled with sorrow and with fear. I don't know how to face each day, each event, each happy, sad, aha, disappointment, each deep question that I could always share with you, Mama, without having to explain where I was coming from. You knew. You really knew me and you cared and really loved me. And I really loved you. I would have done anything to save you, anything, but I couldn't. I'm sorry, Mama. I'm not medically trained. I did all I knew how to do. But you know that. If you're looking down upon me from heaven, and I pray there is such a place, you don't want me to relive this experience. You're sorry I was there and heard it all because that's how you are. That's how you are, not were. Please, Mama, stay alive in me. Please, God, send your comfort upon me. This is just too awful. Your word says hope comes in the morning, but morning comes and my morning continues. Restore my joy and my hope and my zest for life. Oh, Lord, precious Lord, I do trust you. I put my hope in you. Strengthen me and teach me what to do and how to live in this new rea reality. Amen. I don't know if you heard it, but something significant happened as I was writing. Something transformational. As I poured out my heart to, heart to God, his spirit began to lead me out of the darkness and back into the light. By my declaration, I do trust you, Lord. I put my hope in you. This was a step in the journey to forgiveness, to joy, and to freedom. Thanks be to God. We've all had those times when life just doesn't make sense, when we don't even have the strength nor the words to pray. I love what Romans 8.26 says about this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know how to pray. The Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings that are words that words cannot express. So during these times, the Holy Spirit, our Holy Comforter, knows our deep sorrows and he prays for us beyond the words. How great is that? And how great is it that he helps heal us when our worlds are shaken, walking with us, even carrying us when we don't have the strength? So one year after that first journal entry, I wrote this on September 16th, 2012. Yesterday was my 50th birthday. No big deal, no hoopla, just another day. Pat's in Chicago, the kids, the neighbors, and me. Lots of calls, texts, and cards sent. Thankful for friends and family and love. The kids awakened me with breakfast in bed. They brought upstairs a TV tray and set before me a plate of scrambled eggs, a fried egg, fried egg gone bad, Wyatt informed me. The flipping process apparently didn't go very well. <laughs> Grapes, cereal, and grits. It was a feast. Happy birthday, they exclaimed excitedly when I responded with surprise. We all piled up on the bed and talked as I ate with about nothing in particular about nothing, yet about everything. Beauty in these moments. Saturday morning, I was gonna make the breakfast while they did their homework, but when I decided to do beignets from the Cafe Du Monde mix we got in New Orleans, they wanted to help. So this prompted them to buckle down and finish their homework even quicker. Just as we were about to start mixing the ingredients, the doorbell rang and it was William, our next door neighbor. Suddenly the prospect of making beignets paled in Wyatt's eyes as he announced, just call me when they're done. <laughs> and ran out the door. That gave Meg and me precious cooking and prep time. We mixed and rolled out the dough, then carefully placed them into about an inch and a half of hot oil. 
there was flour and powdered sugar and beignet mix flying everywhere as we worked to create our masterpieces. So when she said she wanted to do the whole box instead of half as we had originally planned, I looked at all that grease and white dusted flour on the floor and decided it was not a mess I wanted to recreate anytime soon. So I gave in, if we could share them with the neighbors. When we were almost done, Meg decided to let Wyatt and William know. They hit the front door with eyes wide as saucers yelling, let me at them. <laughs> Crumbs added to the mix on the floor as I said, hold over the counter, in vain, of course. Armed with two plates full of beignets, uh, an assortment of shapes, we began to our trek to the neighbors' houses. It's my birthday, I told them amidst their thanks. We've got to give and share on this day. Maybe that's the uh, flavor of the next 50 years to focus on, sharing from a plate of misshapen and imperfect beignets, or whatever the gift may be. Oh, the joy and blessing in the simple, in the daily moments. And again, like every other day in my life this past year, my mind goes to my mama. She would have loved hearing about this and I would have loved sharing it with her. She would have laughed and cried. You're doing a good job, honey. She would have said, just like she said every day, I shared something like this with her. And I would have told her how I wish I had more times like today. Oh God, how I miss her every day, every moment. In conversations at work as I learn new things, and want to call her and share with her my new discoveries and thoughts and questions in church as a new truth comes to light or as we sing a song with good three-part harmony like Nita and mom and I used to do as I laugh at just ordinary stuff as I see birds flying by or hearing crickets and frogs at night or see the sun shining its beams through trees I always called you mama or was with you on my birthday telling you every year that it's the moms who we really need to call to celebrate thanking them for giving us life <laughs> well, so again, thank you, Mama, for life and for a deep appreciation for days like today, spent laughing and sharing and just being in and loving this moment, these moments which make up my life. Thank you, God, for this day, this 50th year of being on this ground, and thank you for the presence of mind to pause and reflect, to savor and breathe, breathe in the fragrance of simplicity and love with a heart of sad joy. There's probably a better word for it, but that's all I can come up with right now. Dichotomous as it sounds. That's okay though. At least the word joy is in there. That's a step. Thank you for searching me and knowing me, oh God. For hearing the cry of my heart when the words can't even be uttered. You are with me. You are always near. Steadfast and reliable through all of life. Thank you from the depths of my heart. Amen. So yes. <laughs> We all go through ups and downs, and now is no different. I think as we get older, though, we recall past experiences, realizing that God gives us the strength to face whatever comes along. We've lived through tough times before, and it's going to be okay. I was finishing this talk up a few days ago, about 4 a.m. God's wake-up calls, I like to call them, because 4 a.m., that's about the only time it's quiet enough in my house to have quiet time. My husband, who's a small business owner, was sleeping on the couch in the den with the coronavirus news droning on. My daughter, asleep upstairs, has been really concerned about this. We all are, but young people haven't lived through some of the epidemics and challenges that we've lived through. So we've got to assure them that this is going to be okay. We'll find a cure and we'll come out stronger. We'll learn to build communities in new ways, just as we are today. And we'll love each other through it, clinging to the truths 
that have always been and always will be. We serve a big God who knows all things and sees all things and who promises us, promises us he's going to be with us always. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And we know that he tells us in Philippians 4, 6, to be anxious about nothing, but in all things, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, to make our requests known to him. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. So let's not worry. Instead, let's talk with God honestly, transparently. Let's lay our burdens and our worries at the feet of one who promises us he will never leave us nor forsake us. So during this time of physical isolation from one another, let's choose community with one another. Let's worship, even if it's live stream, giving thanks to the one who commanded the winds and the waves to be still over 2,000 years ago and who continues to issue the same command to the winds and the waves raging all around us. Peace be still, and even the oceans within us obey. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for sharing. And I just, I know that the Lord will use just different pieces of that to speak to different people's hearts. Okay, you had mentioned in your story that when you went to counseling when you were 34, that you had played several roles that were kind of revealed to you in counseling. What, what did that look like? Well, I think the biggest thing was that I didn't really have much of an identity or I didn't have any boundaries. So the roles were sister, daughter, whatever they needed to be to help whomever needed help. So I was always fine. I was always okay. You know, nothing, I would never tell anybody anything was wrong with me because it didn't matter. I could, as a single person, I could drop whatever and go help whomever. So the role I played is whatever I needed to play to help whomever out, which is not healthy. You mentioned early on too, that you had a bad view of marriage just from hard experiences in your life. How did God shift that when you met your now husband to have a healthy view of marriage and to not be afraid? You know, I think when you put everybody else first, you can't, I, you can't really put everybody else first. So he helped me set some boundaries. And I think only when I did that, was I able to allow him to come in and to have a relationship. You, you can't drop everything to run to whomever needs whatever and have a marriage also. So he helped me see that. I think I really didn't even see that I had been doing that as much before. I didn't even notice it. So he helped me realize that and that that wasn't realistic and that really it wasn't what I could do as a full-time graduate student and full-time, you know, just with the other responsibilities that I had, I couldn't continue to do that. And, um, and that was important. You talked in your story about the beauty of Jesus's eyes when he looks at you. What was, what was a moment where that happened for you? It was a, a Jesus moment when he looked at you and you knew that he saw you. You know, when mom was in the hospital and she was in ICU, we found out on Monday that she had significant, like 90% brain damage. And at that point, mom had always said that she didn't want to be on life support, but we wanted to give it time because we wanted God to heal her if that was what could happen. So on Monday, I sent to a few of my closest friends requests for them to please pray for mama. 
And one of my friends came back and said, Suzanne, I'm going to fast and pray for your mom. So when I heard that, I thought, I've never fasted and prayed myself. So I'm going to do that too. It really touched me, but I'd never done it. So I did the same thing, fasted and prayed. And we were going to give it until Thursday of that week before we had to make a decision what we were going to do with mama. And uh, so I fasted and prayed from Monday till Thursday. And it was, you know, partly I just wasn't hungry. I wasn't interested in food. I was just, all I wanted to do is be there with her. But also during that time, it was so amazing. I think it was about Wednesday when I went home to get some sleep. And the scriptures that came to mind, the comfort that I had, it was a peace that passeth all understanding. It was incredible. It was otherworldly. <laughs> because I didn't even know I knew some of these scriptures. And the next day when I went back to the hospital, there were a lot of people there. A lot of her family was there. And I had this amazing peace that was not normal. And it was incredible. And that's, I mean, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Suzanne's story really has a lot of different topics that we can talk about. And as a team, we were even talking about just her questions and the answers at the end and how much we got from that. And Dawn, I know that you had one point in particular. Yes. I was like, ding, ding, ding. I know I'm not supposed to diagnose, but I think we have an Enneagram too online. And I know that so many of us can relate to so many of the things that Suzanne was saying about how we give ourselves so much to others that we sometimes just lose sight of the things that God has put right in front of us. Mm -hmm. And good. so um, I, f I think that her giving herself to everyone just really drained her. And it took her looking to God to see who she really truly needed to serve. Right. Yeah. When even she was who talking she is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because that's what I was going to say, Robin, when she was talking about early on, just struggling with, her identity and what her role was and trying to be all these things to all these different people. It, she specifically said, I felt like a jack of all trade, master of nothing. I can't yes. tell y'all how many times I've said that about myself. I mean, just <laughs> struggling with, with, especially in my twenties, struggling with who am I, what am I, whose am I? Um, and so the whole identity struggle really spoke to me. And, you know, another thing that stood out to me was when she talked about when she was in the hospital with her mom and she fasted for the first time, when yeah. I was talking to her about this on the phone, it was so powerful when she said she had never fasted before and how the Holy Spirit really showed up for her in that. And she was able to recall verses and she talks about seeing the beautiful eyes of Jesus. Um, that just, I got chills when she talked about it. Cause I was like, what? There are not many times when we can visibly or, you know, audibly hear the Lord speak. But when things like that happen, you know, there are moments in life when I call them Holy Spirit moments, you know, when you, right. when you get chills and you just know um, that God is right there. And so that part of her story to me just really, really was powerful. I think that's the fruit of really, truly being still, as it mentions in the Bible. And I, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think, you know, when I was listening to her story, and her talking about the experience that she had with her mother, I was teary-eyed listening to her, just the, the walk of going through, feeling like she was responsible in some way for that. And for yes. her to position herself 
in front of God and for him to be so gentle and to just give her, you know, that forgiveness that she talked about over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and, with her, and, and not just one time, five times, yes, the Lord yeah. came to her five times. Yes. That was incredible. Yes. And so I, you know, she ended her story before you went to the questions, you know, talking about, you know, especially what we've been through as a, as a, as a not only a country, but a people of the world, you know, what we've been through for the past uh, couple of months, what we've walked through and not being, you know, aware of what the future holds. I loved that quote. She said, is we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. So, and she quoted um, the verses from Philippians chapter four, which, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, which is exactly what she did after her mother passed away. You know, she put herself in that position to hear him. And I think that, you know, we have been, in a season of our of our lives where we are able to really focus in on our relationship with God and asking ourselves some tough questions as you know are do we trust him with the future or do we trust ourselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think that that it's just a good reminder you know coming up on this mothers day first of all i'm so thankful for my mother you know and, and, and <laughs> yes. uh, she did you know oh how yeah. thankful i am for her but um, but also how thankful i am for a heavenly father that that holds the world in the palm of his hand so thanks all of you for listening and thank you suzanne for sharing your story and giving us so much to think about and We hope that you'll have a great week. We would love for you to subscribe to Storytellers Live podcast on Apple podcast and also rate and review. We always love to read what y'all write to us or when you send emails of how different stories have spoken to you. So please keep that up. We love it. And we read every single one. You can email us from our website, which is storytellerslive.org, or you can send us a message on the socials. We are Storytellers Live podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. So have a great week and we will talk to y'all next week. Bye.